0: Prayer for America. I love the way Steve and Suzanne led us in communion, examining ourselves. Because, you know, change doesn't begin with the government, it doesn't begin in a community, it doesn't begin in a church. Change begins when we as individuals follow the Word of God, repent, submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow after him. So today I want to conclude our 30 days of prayer. I hope you've enjoyed that. We have one more day and that's tomorrow. And I want to uh, conclude it by looking at a passage of scripture that I don't think I have taught on for decades. But it is the scripture. And we want to look today at Romans chapter 13 to see what the role of government is through the eyes of God, not through the eyes of Americans, not through the eyes of a political party, not through your particular lens, but how does God view government? And as I begin, I just want to give credit to a, a pastor friend, Roger Hazelquist. He's a pastor in Alba, Missouri, and a lot of what I'm going to share today I've actually gleaned from some of his research. I want to begin today by asking, how many of you remember looking in the newspaper and reading what was known as Ann Landers? Remember Ann Landers, an advice column? A teenager wrote to Ann Landers one time and said, I'm 15 years old and my biggest problem is my mother. (laughs) All she does is nag, nag, and nag. From morning to night, turn off the TV, do your homework, wash behind your neck, stand up straight, go clean your room. Dear Ann Landers, how can I get her off my case? (laughs) Signed, pick, pick, pick. Ann Landers responded, dear picky turn off the TV, do your homework, wash behind your neck, stand up straight, and go clean your room. Pretty obvious. Being subject to authority is a hard thing for teenagers. But I want you to know it's a hard thing for all of us. Whether it's authority in our family, authority on the job, authority in the church, authority of the government, I mean, we all in theory say, oh yeah, we'll be in submission to those in authority over us until they ask us to do something we don't want to do. That's where the rub comes in. And it comes in for all of us. And we've seen that throughout the years. We've seen it particularly in the last couple of years as our government has tried to do their best to deal with a pandemic. There's two examples that come to my mind in the Bible about submitting to authority. One is in the Old Testament. And it was a guy who had a skin disease. We'll call it leprosy. And he went to the man of God. And he was expecting a miracle. He wanted the man of God to wave his hands and say, you're healed, you're delivered. His name was Naaman, and he went to the man of God and said, I've got this skin disease. Could you heal me? And he didn't hear what he wanted to hear. The man of God said, sure, go to the river and dip seven times. He rebuffed against that. Now, eventually he submitted, but his attitude was, why do I have to do that? I don't want to do that. I know you're the man of God. I know you're the one I'm coming to, but I just want you to make it all better without me having to participate in the healing. Then I recall a man in the New Testament who was a Roman centurion who had a request of Jesus, and he came to Jesus and he said, man, (laughs) I have a child who is desperately ill. I need you to heal my child. Jesus said, well, I could come to your home, and the centurion said, oh no, you don't need to do that. I don't want to bother you. You." are a man under authority, meaning Jesus was in the authority of God the Father. And the Roman centurion said, I'm a man under authority, and I'm a man of authority. You see, you can't have authority unless you submit to authority. And that centurion knew that. He said, Jesus, all you have to do is say the word And by your authority, I know my child will be healed. Two contrasting examples on how people dealt with authority. You know what Jesus said about that Roman centurion? He said, you know, I have not seen faith this great in all of Israel. Of all the Jewish people who were... Curious about Jesus. Not all those who had converted to the way and accepted Christ as Messiah. He saw the faith in a Roman centurion. Because the Roman centurion, a centurion understood authority. Now according to the word of God. God's instituted three primary institutions of authority. And the first is Family. The second is the church, and the third is government. And the thing about it is all three were designed to be sources of blessings to those under their authority. And when it comes to civil government, Romans 13 is the clearest passage on how you and I should respond to the government. It tells us that God is the one who has instituted Human government. It tells us that God has instituted human government to bless mankind, to provide for our protection, to provide for our safety. God is the one who established authority, especially, specifically, as we celebrate the independence of the United States this weekend. I want us to talk about how specifically God has given us the government as a gift. That's what the Bible says. You might not see the the government as a as a gift. But I'm saying that the Bible is very clear. The government has been given to us as a gift, and we are to submit to the government. Let's read the text, Romans chapter 13. Stand with me this morning. Romans chapter 13. I want to read the first 7 verses reading today from the new international version let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which god has established the authorities that exist have been established by god that's what the bible says Consequently, whoever uh, rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. If you do right, you don't need to be afraid of the government. The terror comes for those who are doing wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority, listen, is God's servant for your good. And if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will guide this teaching today, will guide every heart, every mind who hears this message. We come against any spirit that would cause division. Any spirit that would misinterpret what the Word of God says, we come against our own selfish, fleshly nature. We want you, Jesus, to be the Lord of our life, so help us to know how to respond to the government as a result of looking into your Word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I know there are some who would disagree. There are some preachers who preach differently. But I'm telling you, friends, according to the Word of God, the government is not a scheme of Satan to trick us, to bind us. Government is established by God himself. Now, saying that, we have to ask ourselves, does Satan use people in government for wicked schemes? And the answer is yes, of course. There are wicked people in government. There are wicked people in the church. There are wicked people in families. Yet that does not negate the fact that the government and the church and the family are institutions of authority that are given to us by God. Now, I want you to consider what's going on in Rome. None of us, I I doubt that any of us, have really lived under an oppressive government. Maybe some of you have. I've talked to Eleanor, one of our former members, before she moved, about her experience of living in China. You might remember our dear Chinese couple that actually escaped China and came and worshiped with us. We baptized them. That wasn't possible. They understood what oppression was. They understood what persecution was. We don't as Americans. But I want you to consider the context of Romans 13. What was going on In the government. We talk about what was going on in the church. But what was going on in the government at the time that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians there. And consider who was the ultimate governing authority. It was a character by the name of Nero. He became emperor at the age of 15. At the age of 22, he had his mother murdered. That's the kind of man he was followed three years later by divorce and later murdered his wife. It's thought by a lot of historians that the great fire that swept Rome in A.D. 64 was actually instigated by Nero himself, and then he blamed it on the Christians. He was an evil man, The disciples of Christ were living under a government that oppressed them and persecuted them. And since Romans chapter 13 tells us God has instituted government, there would be some who would draw the conclusion that God personally puts into office every bloodthirsty tyrant, every crooked politician, every immoral Leader that takes bribes as being a public official. But that is not true. We're not talking about individuals. We're talking about the organization, the protective covering of a government. Because the fact is, any leader, whether he's a pastor or a president, is a sinful human. And if not careful, that person can take authority and abuse it. And we've seen that. Terrible atrocities throughout the ages by evil people who are in governmental positions. But friends, that does not nullify the Word of God. That does not nullify the principle that government is to be in charge of society. And the one who rebels against government reaps judgment upon himself. Because rebellion is not the Christ-like response. <laughs> Though it's often what our selfish you know, flesh wants. Well, we're not going to do that. Well, I, I don't believe that's best for me. On and on. That's why Peter did what he did in John chapter 18. He knew the government was wrong. They came to arrest his Lord, his Savior, his friend, Jesus. He's not going to let that happen. The government's not going to do that. What did he do? He pulled out his sword. He chopped off. A man's ear. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Peter, put down your sword. Put it down. I think in many ways Jesus would want us to put down our sword today. When we surrender to Jesus Christ, man, we're saying, you, Lord, have the right to dictate how I live my life. I'm going to give up my own rights, and I'm going to submit to your authority. I am going to be obedient to the principles of life as outlined in the Word of God. See, as Christ followers, we're to embody Jesus so that people can see Jesus in us. We're not called to impose Jesus on other people. Now, three things, I've already mentioned them, but I want to look at them a little bit more in detail that we see from Romans 13. And the first is, civil authority is established by God. Not every person in office has been placed there by God, but civil authority is established by God. And it's important to realize that our government is established by God. The Apostle Paul makes that very clear, verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except, there's the word, except what? Except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. God's the one who established the government. And do you notice something that's kind of a, A continual theme in this passage, the government is there as our servant. Now, depending on your translation, it might say they're there to minister or they're there to serve. Isn't it amazing the phrase is applied to the authority of government? That's their job, is to serve us. And this passage represents the clearest biblical teaching concerning... The God given origin and God intended pur- uh, purpose of human government. But listen, what I want you to notice is there's no particular form of authority that is specified. Isn't that interesting? So it doesn't matter what kind of government you live under, the principle's the same. This applies to people in Korea in England, in Costa Rica, in America, in Canada, because it's not talking about a specific form of government. There's all sorts of governments, imperial, monarchy, oligarchy, republics, socialist, democracy, And whether this authority is exercised in either a noble way or an oppressive way, whether it was attained legitimately or illegitimately, God, friends, can accomplish his work and his will through all kinds of governments. Why? Because the Bible's clear. Every authority in this world belongs to God. He's the source of all authority. He's the source of all power. It comes from him. Take a look at John chapter 19 with me. A good example, John chapter 19, beginning with verse 10. This is um, Pilate and Jesus having a dialogue here. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? He's talking to Jesus. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered him in verse 11, "You would have no power over me if we were not given to you from above." Wow. So what have we learned so far? God ordained the position of governmental authority, but not necessarily the person in the position. That's why we read in Proverbs chapter 29, it's not on your notes, but I'd encourage you to write it down and look it up later. Proverbs 29 says this, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. But notice it doesn't say that you're only supposed to submit when you're rejoicing. (laughs) It doesn't say if you're groaning because a wicked man rules, that it releases you from the obligation to submit to the government. That's what it says. When the righteous are in authority, we rejoice. When a wicked man rules, the people groan. But either way, we are told very clearly to be subject to our governmental authorities. Now turn to Ephesians with me, because this is really interesting to be subject to authority. It's the same term that we find in Ephesians 5:21. Look it up in your lexicon. And you'll see it's the same word found here. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That submit is the same submit as subject yourself, submit yourself to civil authority. Now Ephesians 5.21 states the obligation that we are to submit to one another. Wives to husbands and Husbands to wives, children to parents. Submission to authority is God's will for us. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I pray that people in our community can see that we're more concerned about our community than we are ourselves. Because that will show Compassion that shows the love of Christ that shows that we are walking out in reality what the Bible is telling us to do now again, depending on your translation because there's different words used in different translations, but these verses teach is that government officials are servants of God. three times in this passage, I counted Uh, either the word ministers or servants. That's why we're to submit to them. And it's interesting to note that in the original text, the word used here for servant is deaconus. Deaconis. Does that sound familiar? It's the same word in the New Testament that we get our English word deacons. Deaconis. Just as deacons are here to serve the church as ministers of Christ, the government is here to serve us. In other words, God established those who serve the church as deacons, but he also established the servants of government to serve as ministers for the public good. We're to be subject to the authority of the government because it's to serve as God's minister instituted by God to do good and to punish wrongdoers. That's point number two and three that I have taken from this passage today. The first purpose is the government is there to do good. Look at verse four of our text. Verse four says, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. Now, I know sometimes that's hard for us to believe, isn't it? Well, we don't think that they're really looking out after our good. I love what President Ronald Reagan once said. He said, I think you all know that I've always felt the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. (laughs) But still, even in Jesus' time, they were oppressed. They were being... Christians were being persecuted by the government. The government was absolutely corrupt and oppressive. Yet if you look in your history books, man, the Roman government was quite progressive. They had a road system that was second to none in the world. I remember seeing the Roman water viaducts that had been built back even before Christ. They offered water. The Roman government had police protection. They had relief for the poor in food distributions. The Romans, as oppressive as they were, provided health care. The first government, as far as I know, that provided organized hospitals. And something that was very unique at the time, and they were far from what we have today, but they actually provided public toilets. So even though they were oppressive and they persecuted and they were evil, they still in many ways provided good for their citizens. And on this independence weekend, it's easy for us to see all the negative stuff. And I know it hurts when you go and fill up your car at the gas station. And when you go buy groceries, I understand that. Friends, if you think we're hurting, just be thankful we're not living in Europe. Man, I've talked to missionaries. They are being slammed. If you look at all the countries in the world, the United States is not even in the top five of those experiencing the worst inflation. Now, I'm not belittling what we're going through, but I'm just saying let's not have tunnel vision. Take a moment in the midst of where we are, and think about what the government does for us. Whether that's state highways or federal highways. It's a government that provides libraries, schools, transportation, communication systems, universities, It's a government that provides law, police, and fire protection for us. Provides a justice system for us. Those things are not perfect. I understand that. Yet they are given to us by our government for our good. And that's exactly what the scripture says they should be doing. One of my favorite uh, commentators... Uh, from the 20th century, early 20th century, is uh, William Barclay. He was a Scottish minister and a scholar. And for many years, Barclay, commenting the Bible, is kind of the, the, the standard. Now, it isn't anymore, but I still like to go back and see what William Barclay. Maybe it's my Scottish roots. I just trust him because he was a Scottish pastor. But here's what he said. Listen to this. this is a great Great quote. To the state, ordinary people owe a wide range of services which individually they could not enjoy. It would be impossible for every man to have his own water, light, electricity, sewage, or transport system. These things are obtainable only when men agree to live together, and it would be quite wrong for a man to enjoy everything the state provides and to refuse all responsibility to it. That is one compelling reason why the Christian is bound in honor by the Scriptures to be a good citizen and to take his part in all the duties of citizenship. Verse 6, this is why you also pay taxes. So the government can provide services for us. Remember, Jesus was approached by the scribes and the Pharisees, and they had a trick question for him. (laughs) Is it lawful for us to pay taxes? And Jesus was really shrewd, and he knew that if he said uh, yes or no, he would be condemned by somebody kind of like living in 2022 isn't it (laughs) whatever you say someone's not going to be happy but you don't back Jesus into a corner and Jesus pointed to a coin and he pointed to the picture of Caesar who was not a follower of his by the way and he said render to him which is his and to God which is God's what an ingenious answer It leaves both Caesar and God on their respective thrones. And I want you to understand today that we have an obligation to both the kingdoms that we live in. As born-again Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. We belong to the kingdom of God. That's our priority. But we also have been blessed with the United States of America where we have so many freedoms and we have an obligation to our earthly citizenship. But we've got to be careful not to get them mixed up. And that's unfortunately what's been happening recently. Not only is our culture confused, the church is confused in many ways. They get distracted and they get divided in determining what's right and what's wrong, and where their allegiance should lie. People have left their allegiance to the kingdom of God to seek allegiance to a particular man or party or government. But again, remember, it's not a specific government that God has ordained. It's just the system, the office of having a government. Our allegiance, friends, as followers of Christ, must always be to the kingdom of God. Man, there should have been a whole lot more amens. (laughs) We do. We have to have our first allegiance to the kingdom. But friends, I'm as thankful as you are that we live in the United States, that we have a constitution that keeps us that protects our liberties, including the freedom of whatever religion we choose. Because that was the intent of our founding fathers. Now you can sit down and you can discuss all you want what the fathers, founding fathers of our country, what their intent was regarding their vision for the United States of America. And you can have some healthy debates One thing is very clear that can't be argued from history. The founding fathers of the United States intended to declare independence from a nation that at that time was controlled by a church, the Church of England. You probably remember the story of Henry VIII. The church wouldn't let him divorce his wife, wouldn't annul the marriage, So what did he do? He rebelled against authority, because that's what we do. If if we don't like what they're telling us to do, then all of a sudden we take things into our own hands. So he started the Church of England. Rewrote, or I shouldn't say rewrote the Scriptures, but translated the Scriptures the way that he wanted them interpreted. And the Church of England was in control. And those people who came over to what we now know as the United States wanted a government that was free from religious control. They guaranteed freedom of religion. Hallelujah. I'm glad that we have freedom of religion. Right alongside the freedom of speech. But in part, our founding fathers were rebelling at that time against a nation who is controlled by a single church, a single religion. The role of government, according to the scripture today, is not to impose faith or a belief system or establish a state religion. The scripture says, no, the government's there to provide safety and welfare for the citizens. It's the church that should be proclaiming the gospel. It's the church that needs to be sharing the faith practices and the beliefs and the principles of God. According to the Bible, God intends government to be his minister for good, Governments do their work best when they encourage good behavior and they highlight and reward moral acts and godly behavior. And, friends, when our government is not accomplishing that purpose, we live in a nation where we have the right and the freedom to seek change. And we should. As born-again Christians, as Christ followers, we should make our voice heard. We should do all we can through lobbying, through voting. But still, if you look at the straight scriptures, the purpose of the government is that it is for God to minister for our good, and secondly, to restrain evil. That's found in verse number 4. It says here, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They, the government, are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Now, I talk a lot about context. Sometimes we kind of expand to a few you know, words or a few verses ahead or or after the, the text we're looking at. But today I want you to look at the context of Romans 13 following what Paul instructed in Romans 12. You can't really separate Romans 12 and Romans 13. It's clear. We as Christians are not called to personal vengeance. It's not up to you to make sure this other guy gets justice. Now, I know sometimes we feel that. But that's not our calling. According to the word of God, that's the government's calling. The Christian is not to seek vengeance. But it does not take away the government's authority to punish wrongdoers. Now stay with me for just a little bit. E- evil Doers are not free to do all the harm that they please. They need to be restrained without any fear, or they need to be restrained, and they need to have the fear of some kind of punishment. While you and I, as individual Christians, are not allowed to take vengeance against those who do us wrong, God has established civil government, according to the word, to be his agent to the avenger, to make sure that punishment is rightly carried out. It's the only way I can interpret that. Government is supposed to make sure that evil does not rule the land. Evil is to be suppressed by the laws and the power of government. That's why the government gives us laws to live by. And you and I know by studying history when governments fall, the first thing that happens is rampant lawlessness. The laws are there to restrain the evil heart. Now, I understand, I've heard it said, and I agree, you cannot legislate morality. Man, we can pass all the laws we want, but it doesn't change people's hearts. You cannot legislate morality. Laws will not make people moral because morality is a hard issue. But here's the thing that I would say is the other side of the coin that falls in line with Paul's teaching is governments can legislate against immorality. Immorality. There's a difference there. You can't legislate morality, but you can and the government should legislate against immorality. Man, you can't make a law requiring someone to love somebody else. It just doesn't work that way. But you can make a law against killing somebody, and you can legislate consequences for those who do. That's why verse 4 says, if you do wrong, you should be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. The most powerful purpose of a government is the God-given duty of that government, whether it's a national government, a state government, a local government, to protect the innocent and to punish the guilty. The end of May, we saw the third worst mass shooting an elementary school in Texas. It's back in the news because chief of police just resigned from their city council, I think yesterday or the day before. Nineteen innocent children, two teachers in that grade school, pure evil, and justice was served. Because the government had law enforcement officers. I know there's a lot of controversy about how that was handled. But bottom line, the United States Border Patrol Tactical Unit used their weapons and shot the man, took his life. That was the government's duty, according to the Word of God. Scripture says the sword is not used in vain. Now, law enforcement doesn't have swords today. They have guns and rifles. They don't carry them in vain. It's likely that some of you have served in the military, and maybe you were put in a situation that you had to use your sword, and you didn't use it in vain. What's the purpose of the sword? It's not a weapon to inflict as a fine It's not a weapon to spank somebody. Let's face it. It's a weapon to take a life. A terrible thing. But God does say the government has the right to take a life in bringing punishment. If it will restrain evil for the good of society. And you see all sorts of soldier terminology used in the scripture. And that's because it's a God-ordained position. A soldier who is subject to a commander is obligated to obey that commander. The reality is that when we're under orders from the government, which God uses to bring punishment on an evildoer, verse 2 says that if you resist the authority over you, you're resisting God. Talked to a lot of military people, particularly Vietnam veterans, horrible, horrible war, terrible, tragic things. But I always say when you are in the military, you're serving God when you obey government orders. Because the scripture teaches us that the state has been placed in society by God, and whoever opposes Authority opposes God because ultimate authority belongs to God. So, government is God's servant, and the sword is there to punish evildoers. Why? So that we can have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Verse 5 says we've got to be subject to government not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. You know what that means? You and I as Christians, we know what the word says, so we should submit to authorities not only because of what will happen to us if we don't, but simply because it's the right thing to do. Whether we agree that the speed limit should be 30 whether we agree in something that they're asking us to do for the good of our community. We do it because it's the right thing to do. And the failure to do one's duty in relationship to the government is to violate your conscience and to invite punishment. So I really believe we please God when we submit to civil authority because God's the one that established that authority. What does it show? I believe when we submit to civil authority, it shows that we are people of faith, that we are people of the word. Now, the exception to that, and I don't have time to go into it, but you know the exception is when that authority is asking us to do something that is disobedient to God. Then, as Peter said, man, we have to obey God rather than man. The one time that the apostles did disobey civil government is when the civil government says, you can no longer preach in the name of Jesus. Can't do that. (laughs) Because the great commandment, the great commission... Our alliance is with the kingdom of God. And God says we're to proclaim the name of Jesus. So sorry. We can't submit to that. Because it violates. The principle of the kingdom of God. I've never been asked. Not to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never. Oh I've been inconvenienced by some things. That the government has deemed necessary. And whether I. Agree or disagreed with them is really not all that important. The important thing is that I'm obeying the word and submitting to them. Again, we don't submit to authority when we agree. Proverbs, we rejoice when we have righteous people in our government. We groan when we don't. Peter went on to say, and this is my last verse today, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Why? For the Lord's sake. You drive in the speed limit because that's being submissive to the Lord. Whether you think that no parking sign should be there or not, Under the Lord, you're not going to park there. (laughs) You might not agree with the tax structure of our IRS system, but you submit as under the Lord. It says, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent for him by the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Notice it says, for the Lord's sake. Godly submission is to be given to the one who ultimately deserves honor. And that's the Lord Jesus. It's not a form of government. It's not a person who holds an office. Government and its representatives are merely, according to the word, representatives whom God is using to minister. So on this Independence Day weekend, when I consider those who've served in our military... Those who have served in our police force, our fire departments, the veterans, man, I think of words like courage, commitment, dedication, those brave men and women who lost their lives in service to the country so that we can live in a free country, deserve the honor we pay to them. They gave their all. And as followers of Jesus, we also need to have that same kind of courage. That same kind of commitment to the word of God. That same kind of dedication to the cause of Christ. Because our ultimate allegiance is to God. Who made us and bought us back from our sinful rebellion through the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to end by saying this. The government that herded all those Christians years ago into the Colosseum to be slaughtered for the enjoyment of 50, 60,000 fans, <laughs> that government was changed not by rebellion, but by the prayers and the preaching of the family of friends of those who were being torn apart by the lions. I know Jesus never participated in actual earthly legislation or government, but Jesus forever changed our culture and our governments by his truth, and one day, Jesus is coming again, and one day, Jesus will establish his government, and until that day, let's keep our eyes not on our government not on our political leaders, but let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Let's not get swept away in the emotions of all that goes on in politics and all this stuff out here. Let's make the Bible our rule of conduct. Friends, we're to build the church. We're to build the kingdom of God no matter what kind of government we live under. And we've got to acknowledge what the Bible says about the government. Here it is again. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. A Nazarene pastor in Idaho by the name of Ben Kramer, wrote this recently. If Jesus wanted a Christian nation, he would have established one. But he didn't. He established the church. And whenever we Christians forsake our call to be the church for a Christian empire, the results are always catastrophic. If I had time, we could talk about when Constantine gained control of the government And decided Christianity should be the state religion. It was a mess. It did more to harm the cause of Christ than anything else because Jesus never intended the civil government and the government of God to be intertwined. Let's follow the Word of God. Let's submit, realizing our government is established of God for our good and to restrain evil. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in these turbulent times we can look to your word to see exactly why you established civil government and how we are to respond. And Lord, I pray that each of us today will submit to our government, that we will do our best to influence our politicians, our leaders, ...to align themselves up with the principles of God. For Lord, we know when the righteous are in control, we rejoice. So Lord, we do pray that you will raise up godly leaders for our country. And we thank you for our country. We thank you for the years of freedom. We thank you that there was people who were brave enough... ...to escape from a a church-controlled government... (laughs) in order to come here and establish the freedom of religion, that no matter what you believed, you had the right to worship. I thank you for that. And today we pray for our government. Lord, we pray for our president. We pray for our congressmen, our senators, our Supreme Court justices. We pray for our governor. We pray for our mayors. We pray for our county commissioners. We pray for all our governmental leaders, that, Lord, their hearts will be softened in alignment with you, and that our hearts will be softened, Lord, that we won't be caught up in the divisiveness of government, but we'll do what the Word says. We will submit to the government as long as it doesn't violate biblical principles. Whether we agree or not, We submit to them as unto you. We pray God that you will give us open hearts to be shining lights of your love and your righteousness and your forgiveness and your mercy. And many people will be drawn to Jesus Christ, to the church. And no matter how hard hell sends opposition we know that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. So may our eyes continue to be on Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that helps us navigate through difficult times, even as your Holy Spirit helped the apostles and the disciples navigate through much more difficult times. We take courage in knowing that their prayers, And their allegiance to Jesus eventually turned the government. And we pray that our allegiance to you and our obedience to you will do the same. In your name we pray.